All right. So we've got to try this out. The value of an image. Did it, did it go off again? No, there it is. <laughs> now stay hopeful. Stay hopeful. Okay. Now. I want you to look at that picture, and then I want you to tell me what's the difference between that picture and this picture. You, you want to see it again? All right, there's the first one, and there's the second one. What's the difference between that picture? It's the chin. That's right. This is my chin. A few days, a few weeks ago, I was, uh, I wanted to uh, change out my picture on um, uh, Fitbit and, not, not Fitbit, but um, Strava. Yeah, I'm, I have 20K steps a day is a good day. So um, I'm known as uh, Bowtie Tom. Well, this is just in and out here. Why is this going in and out? Okay. I like the other picture better. Okay. And, and uh, I, was, I was taking a selfie, you know, to do this, and I looked at my chin in this picture like this, and I'm like, oh, no, I can't put that up on straight, but that's no good. And so I figured out you've got to lift your head up, take the picture when you're not looking at it, and then you can get it. The value of an image, that's the point, the value of an image. Our text of Scripture is Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. Turn over there with me if you've got your Bible with you or you got it on your phone or wherever you got it. Thank you for the reading of the Scripture. Thank you for that beautiful music too. My, oh, my. Wonderful. I see the seminary chorus is growing. That is fantastic. The seminary chorus needs to go to the general conference. Amen? Amen. Then a lot of people will join. Okay. You know, I need you guys to fix this thing so it's going to work and stay up there. All right, so here we are in Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What is the image of God? So we want to think a little bit about the theology here about the image. Now, you have to look at these quick because they flash in and out. <laughs> Don't go sleeping on me here, you see. you got to stay awake. Now, here's the, here's the Hebrew words, okay. The, the first word is selim. Hebrew is a great language. I love Hebrew. It, it means an image or it's used most often in the Bible to refer to idols, actually. And then the other word is demut which refers to some kind of comparison of abstract things. So, oh, did we just switch to the next slide? Yeah, one of this one still. Okay, now we can go to the next one. So the focus of this passage in Genesis 1, there's three foci, all right? Three aspects of the image of God that come into this passage. The physical appearance, the spiritual, non-physical aspects, and the functional role. So the image gives the idea of physical appearance. The term, the term selim is used in the Old Testament to refer to idols as a physical representation of a deity. It's interesting that in the, uh, in the Bible, throughout the Bible, whenever God appears, he always appears in the form that looks like us. Now, that's not to mean that he's in our image. Remember, it's the other way around. We are in his image. He is not in our image. Likeness gives the idea of some kind of comparisons. Like this is not like that. We are like him. 
in character, in non-physical aspects. We have the ability to love. We have the ability to choose, to think, to remember. But there's also focus in this passage on the idea of function. You see, you've got to look at that real quick. The functional role. Like God, we have the ability to act and to decide. As he creates, we have the ability to procreate. We are different from the rest of creation around us. In Genesis 1, it says that the animals were made according to their kinds. But when it comes to the humans, we were made in the image of God and in his likeness. So the biblical account of our origin is vastly different from that taught in Western culture today, where the theory of evolution is given primacy of position. According to the evolutionary theory, humans derived from lower animals after a long line of developmental steps that took billions of years to achieve. For the evolutionist, our origin is rooted in the earth and random, non-sentient forces of nature. Not so in the Bible. In the Bible, our origin is from the hand of God himself. We are made in his image and after his likeness, not as the culmination of a long evolutionary process, but as the capstone of a historical creation week, not as tied to the earth, but linked to Almighty God. Now, to understand this, I'm going to recite for you a great poem. It's called The Creation. It's written by a man named James Weldon Johnson, a black uh, poet from the 20th century. And he wrote a series of poems that are in a book called uh, God's Trombones. If you want to hear more about that, you can talk to me sometime. Um, it's kind of a dramatic poem. Now, you've got to imagine that it's dark in here. I suppose we could try this. The, the time when he's supposed to turn on the lights is when we have the words, and the light broke. So we'll see if they, they're listening to the poem. All right, let's go turn off the lights. You should turn off the screen, too. It's not working anyways. <laughs> All right. Got to turn off the light on the screen, too. Can you, can you hit the screen, turn off the screen? All right, there we go. And God stepped out on space. And he looked around and said, I'm lonely. I'll make me a world. And far as the eye of God could see, darkness covered everything, blacker than a hundred midnights, down in a cypress swamp. Then God smiled. And the light broke, and the darkness rolled up on one side, and the light stood shining on the other. And God said, hmm, that's good. Then God reached out and took the light in his hands, and he rolled the light around in his hands until he made the sun. And he set that sun ablazing in the heavens. And the light that was left from making the sun, God gathered it up in a shiny ball and flung it against the darkness, spangling the night with the moon and stars. Then down between the darkness and the light, he hurled the world. And God said, hmm, that's good. Then God himself stepped down. And the sun was on his right hand and the moon was on his left. The stars were clustered about his head and the earth was under his feet. And God walked. And where he trod, his footsteps hollowed the valleys out and bulged the mountains up. Then he stopped and looked saw that the earth was hot and barren. So God stepped over to the edge of the world and he spat out the seven seas. He batted his eyes and the lightning flashed. He clapped his hands and the thunders rolled. And the waters above the earth came down 
cooling waters came down. Then the green grass sprouted, and the little red flowers blossomed. The pine tree pointed his finger to the sky, and the oak spread out his arm. The lake scuttled down in the hollows of the ground, and the rivers ran down to the sea. And God smiled again, and the rainbow appeared and curled itself around his shoulder. Then God raised his arm, and he waved his hand over the sea and over the land, and he said, bring forth, bring forth. And quicker than God could drop his hand, fishes and fowls and beasts and birds swam the rivers and the seas, roamed the forests and the woods, and split the air with their wings. And God said, hmm, that's good. And God walked around, and God looks around, and all that he had made, he looked at his sun, and he looked at his moon, and he looked at his little stars. He looked on his world with all its living things. And God said, hmm, I'm lonely still. Then God sat down on the side of a hill where he could think by a deep Wide river, he sat down with his head in his hands. God thought and thought till he thought, I'll make me a man. Up from the bed of the river, God scooped the clay. And by the bank of the river, he kneeled him down. And there, the great God Almighty, who lit the sun and fixed it in the sky, who flung the stars in the most far corner of the night, who rounded the earth in the middle of his hand, this great God, like a mammy bending over her baby, kneeled down in the dust, toiling over a lump of clay, till he shaped it in his own image. Then into it he blew the breath of life. <laughs> And man became a living soul. Amen. Amen. There's a series of seven great poems. So you might want to take a look at those. Now let's ask the question, is the Imago Dei passed on to our children? It was God made man in his own image. Is it passed on to his, to his children? Well, let's turn over to Genesis chapter 5. We've got to do this real quick. Genesis chapter 5. And here's what we read in verses 1 to 3. Genesis 5, verses 1 to 3. I'm using the RSV today. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Right? See, there it is. In his likeness. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them Humanity or man, when they were created, when Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. This image of God, this imago Dei, is a heritage from God that is true of all human beings. If you are human, you have the imago Dei. You have the image of God. Well, somebody says, well, wait a minute. Was the Imago Dei lost in the fall? 
Now, that was a bad thing, the fall. Did we lose the Imago Dei? Turn over to Genesis 9. See how this is what we start off in Genesis. Genesis 9, verses 5 and 6. This is after the flood. For your lifeblood, I will surely require a reckoning of every beast. I will require it and of man, of every man's brother. I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Now, notice it's wrong. We're going to come back to this. It's wrong to murder. It's wrong to kill people because they are made in the image of God. If the image of God was lost in the fall, then that would not be a reason why murder is wrong. Are you with me? All right. Murder is wrong because of the Imago Dei. You didn't lose it in the fall. You didn't lose it. You tarnished it, but you didn't lose it. How is the Imago Dei restored? We're talking about the theology of Imago Dei. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3 in the New Testament. Amen, the New Testament. I love the, New, I will love the Old Testament too. They're both good. Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old nature with its practices and put on the new nature, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You see why creation is so important in the Adventist doctrine, in the Adventist teaching? Very, very important. The work of redemption is the work of restoring in human beings the image of God. It is also the work of education. So what are the implications of the image of God? Now we come to the ethics. All right. First thing we can notice is that the image is our heritage from creation. It is a gift. It is not an accomplishment. It is stamped on you no matter what you have done, are doing, or will do. It is an ontological reality rather than a functional achievement. It is not something you achieve, it's something you are. It is also something that deserves respect. Because the Imago Dei links us to God, beyond the physical realities around us, it deserves respect and honor. One theologian said it is our alien dignity. Now these days, the word alien doesn't seem to be a very popular word. Um, Alien means from someplace else, all right? Dignity has the idea of something like a king with a crown or a queen with a crown, all right? Alien dignity is this idea of the Imago Dei as our linkage to God in this most unusual way that sets us apart. It's dignified and it deserves respect. No matter what you have done or are doing, you always deserve respect simply because you bear the image of God. You may be in a terrible situation because of choices you have made, but you still bear the image of God. Your grades may be in the tank. Your life may be in shambles. Your marriage may be on the rocks, but you still have the image of God. You can tarnish it, but you cannot trash it. You can forget it, but you cannot annul it. You can deride it, but you cannot destroy it. You can evade it, but you cannot evict it. You can belittle it, but you cannot blot it out. You can detest it, but you cannot deny it. You can laugh at it, but you cannot lose it. You can repudiate it, but you cannot revoke it. You are stamped with it, 
and it marks every aspect of your life, every muscle and bone, every nerve and fiber, every cell in your body, from the top of your head to the tips of your toes. You are made in the image of God. And some of you black preachers out there thought that a white man couldn't do a run. Now let's look at a few other verses. <laughs> while we're while we're here in while we're here in, in Colossians, let's just read this passage. Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 to 11. Colossians 3, starting in verse 8. All right, get back with me now. All right, but now put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and foul talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old nature with its practices and have put on the new nature, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there cannot be Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all and in all. What a beautiful theology, what a beautiful ethic arising from redemption, arising from the image of God. You are a precious child of God because you are made in his image. Again, I say, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't. It's not based on that. It's based on his power. It's based on how he has changed your life. Turn over to uh, James chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. James chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. With it, Speaking of the tongue, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brethren, this ought not to be so. All right? So it is not a matter where you are from, what the color of your skin is, what language you speak, how much you know, or how much you have. You bear the Imago Dei, and consequently, you deserve respect from everyone you meet. And you must respect everyone you meet. What is wrong, according to the image of God, is taking of human life. Taking of human life is wrong because people are made in the image of God, and you do not have rights over them. That image of God is alien to your power. It links you to God. Let me be specific. A man walking into a synagogue in Pittsburgh a week ago Sabbath and killing 11 people because they were Jews is a violation of the image of God. When a man treats a woman as a sexual object, he is abusing the Imago Dei in her. Exploiting people for sex, for drugs, for money, for power, or position is wrong because of the image of God. But you must remember that this is a two-edged sword. We must not use or abuse others because they are made in the image of God, but we, we, we must also not call wrongdoers monsters, inhuman, and beasts. You see, that's the temptation. When somebody does something like that guy did in, in Pittsburgh, which I can't understand, when somebody does like that, our, our natural tendency is to say, oh, he's a monster, oh, he's a beast. He's not, he's inhuman. When you do that, 
When you do that, you start to go down the direction of dehumanizing that person. You start to go down the very same path that he went down. You see, the cycle of violence must be broken, my friends. I remember showing my students in ethics class years ago, and I used to teach ethics at Union College. I showed them a, a film that uh, was an um, a interview with Elie Wiesel. Elie Wiesel was a, uh, a Jew who survived the Holocaust. He was a young man. And he was being questioned in this video, and I still remember the thing that he said. It was just so striking. He said, the Germans didn't hate us. And like, what? He said, no, the Germans didn't hate us. How, how is that? Because they did not see us Jews as human. Consequently, they could do to the Jews inhumane and monstrous actions because they weren't people. You see how vital the Imago Dei is? It's vital. It's an amazing heritage. We are made in the image of God. We are gifted with the freedom to choose, to act, to bless others, and to acknowledge the Imago Dei in them. An amazing gift and an incredible responsibility. Please, please remember it and live it today.